Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the You Love and You Learn podcast. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. I recorded it last night with my friend Natalie of Anxious Love Coach. And I left the conversation with so many nuggets of wisdom, and there were things she shared in there that I had not heard explained in that way before. It was seriously such a powerful episode, and I know that it is going to bring out so many just moments of inspiration for you and get you really thinking about how to show up in your life and relationship in a different way than we have been taught and programmed to think. So really, really cannot wait for you to hear this episode Before I introduce Natalie and we start the episode, I just want to thank you again so much for listening and ask if you have been enjoying the podcast or if you found any inspiration or wisdom or tips that have helped you on this journey. It would mean the world to me if you left a rating and review. It helps the word get out about the podcast to other people. And even better, if you're enjoying it and you know someone else who might enjoy it, please share it with them. It means so much to me as a new podcast to keep growing the listeners and the people that get to hear what I'm sharing. So thank you again so much. Let me now introduce Natalie. So Natalie Kennedy is the CEO and founder of Anxious Love Coach, host of Anxious Love Coach podcast, a meditation and yoga teacher, an integrative nutrition health coach, and she has a background of study in pharmacy and Western medicine. She has been doing life with her now husband, Preston, for 10 years, with her foot out the door for five of them. Her focus is on bringing mindfulness into the multivariable calculus that is partnership, encouraging her clients into compassionate, spiritual self-inquiry while they do life beside their beautiful and flawed humans. Oh, I just love that introduction and I love the conversation. So let's go ahead and dive in. All right. Hello, Natalie. I am so excited to have you on the You Love and You Learn podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's it's a it's an absolute pleasure. I always love just our little chats and I was so grateful that we got to meet in person and just I really admire the way that you view a lot of things in life and relationships. And ever since I started my page, I think back in you know, June of 2020, I remember you were one of the first people that I kind of like connected with and just really resonated with what you were sharing. So if someone has not come into your world yet, I know they're going to learn so much today. Oh, yeah. I feel like we're like sisters in this world. We started around the same time and and found each other. So it was very special. It's nice having you kind of by my side. Yeah, definitely. I feel the same. So if someone has not come across your world or kind of more about you and your story yet, do you want to kind of share a little bit more about just like how you got to where you are and how Anxious Love Coach came to be? (laughs) I could be a whole podcast in itself. Um, (laughs) But I guess in a, in a nutshell, yeah, my, so my background was very unconventional by, by uh, traditional, uh uh-oh, is my video okay? Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. You can hear me, right? Yeah, I can hear you. You can cut that part out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess by conventional standards, um, my route doesn't make any sense, but I had a background in pharmaceutical sciences. So I was kind of like already a little bit immersed in like the mental health world, but not officially, not licensed, anything like that. Just had a lot of studies that I was very comfortable looking into. Um, But then I got sick and conventional methods couldn't heal me. Western medicine couldn't heal me. So I swung the opposite like extreme into the holistic and spiritual realms. I became a multiple certified yoga teacher um, and uh, became like a, a health coach. So I learned, I started learning how to have like 
conversations with people that often was nothing to do with food, but a lot of times it it did have to do with relationships. But at that time, I'd been in a relationship for five, six years, and I was struggling with relationship anxiety really, really bad. Arguably, a lot of my gut issues that I was struggling with were connected to this anxiety that was just living in my body. I was really lost, had no idea who I was. Um, but I'd started working with um, the mind and the body really early on. Um, and pretty much long story short, one day in an intuitive burst, I just headed over to Austria and um, found my meditation teacher, Steffi Price. And she kind of was the missing link in my training that involved like a lot of trauma work and um, being able to connect with alternate sides of myself and be able to get them on the same page, because that's what was really causing me so much turmoil in my relationship. I had one foot in, one foot out. Who was the one with one foot in? Who was the one with the one foot out? And get actually started having them connect with each other and like see each other. And the one with one foot out, I thought was just like a free spirit. And to a degree she was, but she was also this like very traumatized little girl that was terrified of commitment. And so eventually a lot of those old emotions from childhood came up for me. And I, I processed a lot of divor- uh, divorce, a lot of pain around my parents' divorces. And, um, when I came back from the Austria trip, I just felt so clear and so open. And right around, about a year later, that's when COVID hit. And I had just kind of casually for fun, because I was still teaching yoga at the time and meditation, um, just casually I had started talking about my story with relationship anxiety and how I finally committed to my beloved husband with my whole heart, now now husband with my whole heart. Um, and I've never looked back and it's been you know, ups and downs, but I haven't had that one foot in, one foot out anymore. It's just been full steam ahead. And um, Anxious Love Coach kind of started out as a little passion project. But then when COVID hit, <laughs> all my yoga, my yoga business died, all the all the offices I was teaching at closed, all the studios I was teaching at closed. And I was getting ready to uh, become a financial advisor at Edward Jones. Uh, when my podcast, Anxious Love Coach, exploded and people started coming to me saying, can you help me? I have relationship anxiety. And I was like, I have no traditional credentials, but I can help you with uh, you know, mindfulness and partnership, which is kind of where I stick to the scope of my practice. It just so happens that mindfulness helps a lot in partnership. So um, I help people process their emotions and, and learn how to love themselves within partnership and uh, the rest is kind of history. It, it exploded and I, I didn't have to become a financial advisor. <laughs> this became my full-time thing. So that's that's pretty much it. A lot of, lot of twists and turns. Oh man, to think you could have been in a uh, financial advisor instead of someone that advises with emotion. That would have been <laughs> really different. Like, would that be interesting? <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting. And I feel like I knew that, but I just remembered how similar our stories was in the sense that I too just kind of started sharing my story as more of like this passion project on the side and really just wanted an avenue to kind of like talk about something that I had realized and learned and thought was really insightful and had no idea what it would become. So I think that's, there's no one right way to start anything, but that to me feels just really aligned because it was always something that was passion like related and interesting to me and then it just gets to be now something we do to help others so totally and you know I think you and I were both given this at one time in our lives a very painful thing but it became a gift and um, a lot of times our gift kind of gets handed to us and the people decide. <laughs> My, the people for me decided, you will not be a financial advisor. You will be doing this. <laughs> so I'm glad it was chosen for me. Yeah. And I love what you mentioned. Like there was this part of me that felt one foot out. And then there was this other, I guess, like version of me that was one foot in the relationship. And it sounds like you were able to have you know, both of those things be true and kind of come to terms with having both parts of yourself be in there. And you said you communicated and like they, or you had them communicate and kind of talk with one another. So what was that process like? Because I think a lot of people can relate to that split of one foot in and one foot out. And both of them are valid. It's not like one of them needs to be shamed or bad or wrong. They just need to be heard and understood. So what was that like for you to kind of realize that both of these things needed 
kind of attention and to talk through, I guess, each other's fears or dreams or desires. Yeah, it's it's a really, really fun process. And I think a lot of uh, therapies are arriving in this place. Um, a very popular style of like licensed therapists today are, are called IFS therapists, which is internal family systems. Now, uh, my teacher called it poli- polarity work. It was a meditation technique, but the fundamentals are pretty similar. You take parts of yourself that are in conflict and you have them dialogue with each other in the same way that you might, I'm dialoguing with you right now. And uh, believe it or not, when you get still enough, these parts of you kind of channel themselves through your psyche. And it's a very imaginative, actually fun process. Um, but for me, it I think a lot of times when we first encounter the split with it, a lot of times this is the first time people encounter a split within them. They've had splits their whole lives, but this is the first time that you have a split to the extent that it's like it's hard for you to operate in life because you're at a standstill. You're not able to proceed. You're not able to move forward with your life and um, make a commitment that actually allows you to build a foundation and, and put something down for as your legacy. Um, but for me, I think it was helpful to actually slow down and really get curious about these parts because prior to then, it had just been like a tug of war. It's like this part of me was, as long as I was, uh, you know, being controlled by the part that was in a, that was happy with being in a committed relationship, I was good. And then as soon as I stepped into the part that wanted freedom, I shamed myself and felt horrible. And when I called it relationship anxiety, um, saying like, oh, I don't love my partner. I don't love, I don't love them. What if I don't love them? What if they're not the one? Does me wanting freedom mean we need to break up? Because I hadn't learned how that part of me at the time was so threatening that it didn't bother to really love it and get to know it. And now it's like one of my favorite parts. But as long as we're taking the inner dialogue, which at the time when we're not really conscious of it is more of a fight. <laughs> it's you're trying to stuff it down and keep it down and make sure that independent part never comes up. <clears throat> um, as long as we're in that, you know, we're not really whole. We're we're only accepting ha- like a, a half of us. Um, and so when I was with my my teacher in Austria, who by the way, I'm hosting a retreat with her next this, this summer. It's really exciting. So everything's coming like full circle. Um, but when I was working with her, it was my first time like really sitting down and, and looking at my thing that I the part of me that I had called a free spirit. And as I really looked at her, I was like, this is not a free spirit at all. This is a wounded little child. Mm-hmm. And I felt so much compassion. It was a wounded little child dressed up as a free spirit, little hippie. I don't, I don't need no man. <laughs> well, the truth is, no, I don't need no man, but I sure wanted one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I actually wasn't able to touch that really vulnerable longing for a committed partnership because I was so afraid of a losing him. If something didn't work out, could I handle it? You know, could I handle it in the same way that could I, did I handle it when my parents got divorced? That was so painful. Could I handle that again? If that happened, I, you know, I had to look at questions like that yeah. and um, to also tap into the pain of the fear connected to the fear of, of losing myself in partnership. I'm so, you know, there's so much conditioning around relationships being a place where I sacrifice myself. And so, you know, you have to look at where these beliefs come from and dive into your childhood and see where a lot of this pain is sitting in, is is coming from. And um, I remember there was just a moment where I just, I had a full blown like, meltdown. I just threw a tantrum, like a full body tantrum um as if I were a three-year-old but I was 27 (laughs) and just on the floor weeping and it just was coming out just like 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 a gushing waterfall just uh, so much pain and magically it was like you know everything ends and so therefore does this emotion and once I got to the other side of that grief um which it wasn't just about my parents. It was also about my childhood and not having people take care of me anymore and living in a society that tells you you're not enough. And um, the fact that everything ends, like when you really realize everything ends, it's like a very painful realization. Like you don't get to keep any of this. You don't get to keep your possessions. You don't get to keep your partner. You don't get to keep your your body even. 
And um, with that, there was just so much purging that happened. And um, all of that I had labeled a spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, my mind just cleared. And of course, I have noise that comes, but it never went back to that place. And so when I coach now, I coach from that, for the most part, spacious place inside. And the irony is the part of me that was so wounded and focused on getting and on being independent, it's now like my favorite part of myself. And it turns out my partner has a, a side of him that's that way too. And I love that side of him because when he's in his independent self, I long for him more. I miss him more. I'm like, I miss you. It, it Like by him giving himself freedom and in the relationship to have a life outside of me, it, it gives me room to miss him. And it allows us to have separate lives even though we're together and uh, to, to create that sort of ebb and flow within partnership. So now it's not a threat. It's like my independent self knows that you don't lose yourself in a relationship. It, you, you can lose yourself in any identity, but labels are just really labels. It's hard to see that when you're in it. But um, I guess for me, I don't see being in a relationship as something that takes away who you are. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think that's such a big shift for people to wrap their head around. And then it's kind of like this smack in the face. If you're like, oh, wait, if my relationship isn't what's causing me to lose myself, then that means I was partially responsible, if not fully responsible (laughs) for me losing that independence. So I think that's why it's easier to kind of say, oh, well, it's my relationship that's causing me to lose this part of myself that I really long for and value. And oh, only a free spirit, you know, could become someone who's single or, you know, it's like, it has to be a single person who has this free spirited, independent self. And we have these labels and throw that onto people instead of just looking at ourselves and asking, what do I actually need? And how can I give that to myself? And then do I also need support from other people in my life as I'm working? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned it. It's, it's, I guess I mentioned it and then you echoed it. Like, I really want to drill this home that so many people believe that when you enter your relationship, you're, you're giving something away and you kind of are in the sense that you're choosing a path yeah. in, in lieu of other paths, but you're not giving away, like you can, you can give away the water in your cup and, and transfer the water from your cup to your partner's cup, but you don't give away your cup. You don't give away your, like your essential you, yeah. um, And a lot of this, I just want everyone listening to be very compassionate with themselves because a lot of this is conditioning. Um, You know, if you look at movies, people, when they get infatuated, they stop hanging out with their friends. They stop doing all their things that they love and they just become totally obsessed with their partners. And so people think that that's, that's what happens in a relationship. Well, that that phase of the relationship is not you. That's a a lot of dopamine. (laughs) So actually the 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 thing that we call a loss in partnership is a lot of times a choice it's like you're getting really comfortable and not taking risks in your personal life and doing things that you love and then you're blaming your partner for it but like you never had to stop doing those things and i also think i just want to add this little caveat um a lot of people are like well what about like being with other people and like sleeping with other people it's like i'm giving that up i i could be a polyamorous i could be in you know an open relationship and if that's what you want that's totally fine but there's a difference between going into that into these arrangements to avoid something in the primary partnership versus doing it as a, as a means to to be a bonus to your partnership and honestly i don't think most people are ready for that most people are not ready for kind of an open relationship to be a bonus to their partnership as a, as opposed to something that they use to avoid their partnership so but i i think for the people that are saying this is just my opinion for the people that are saying like well I'm losing like the part of myself that would be polyamorous. The thing is, you're, I don't see anything wrong with this arrangement, but I will say you're still falling into the trap of thinking that you need other people in order to feel free and alive inside. So if, if being with one person um, makes you feel trapped, you are still outsourcing your aliveness to the other. Mm. And so does that does that kind of make sense? It's like if if sleeping with other people is what frees you, you're not free. 
Yes, I get what you're saying. Because freedom is not dependent on another person. Yep. So it's a whole mindset shift. Yeah, that's super important. I totally get what you're saying, which is like, no matter how many partners you have, if you're still feeling like that's not satiable or like whatever it is, like it's not meeting a need you have, then what need is that? And how can you bring it more towards yourself? So I think that's yeah. super important. And it, in the, this, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just like in the same way that a partner can't trap you, other people can't free you. Mm. All of that is your doing. Yeah. Oof, that's good. Mic drop moment. Mm-hmm. That kind of transitions us into what I was really excited to talk with you about today, which is kind of, and you gave this amazing phrase, which I definitely will be using for the title of this episode, which is being single in partnership. And yes. I mean, I would love to hear your definition of kind of what that means before I even prompt you with anything else. (laughs) Being single in partnership to me is having your partner be a part of your life, um, but they are not your whole life. And you have aspects of your life that are independent of partnership. One of the things that I do in my programs and also in my retreats is um, I tell people, while you're here, I want you to hold the mindset that you're single. And if you were to be single right now, what would happen? Well, you would be kind of breaking up with your partner and there would be grief. And so there is a grieving process of the, I want to say, energetic detachment from your partner, not for the purpose of not attaching and not moving forward, but in reestablishing who you are outside of partnership. I mean, if you just look at your Facebook profiles, people like have as their identities, I am married to so-and-so. On my Instagram, I put like woman, wife, we attach all these labels, but those are just words and they don't encompass who we truly are. There's so much more about me that I didn't put on my on my Instagram page. I'm also a tango dancer. I also um, am a traveler. I'm also a digital nomad. I'm also a lover. I'm also um, a sister and a daughter and soon to someday mother, like all these things. And even those labels don't capture all of who I am either. It's infinite. And actually there's no words to capture who I am. I, I could never capture it if I tried. And so when we are defining ourselves by our partnerships to the degree that we're like, we won't travel because we're in a relationship or we won't take care of ourselves because we're in a relationship or we sacrifice ourselves because we're in a relationship. Well, we got to examine that conditioning. So being single in partnership is basically kind of doing things as if you were single Um, while you're in partnership. So being in a relationship doesn't stop you from traveling alone if that's what you want to do. Being in a relationship doesn't stop you from pursuing your passions or um, going back to school, whatever, you know, because otherwise you start resenting your partner saying, I'm sacrificing so much for this relationship. Well, they never asked you to do that, ideally. (laughs) And if they, (laughs) you know, and of course there's like limitations. If you have kids, maybe you don't want to go on a little thing for six months, but um, and by thing, I mean travel. But it really, for me, being single while in partnership means remembering that you exist as a separate being. And for us, it's it's kind of also in a weird way, even, Preston and I are currently monogamous and always have been, but I still use the word current because for us, nothing's quite off the table. It's like, we've been together 11 years. Who knows? Maybe one day we will play mm-hmm. around. We'll see. <laughs> but right now we're, we're monogamous. But I will say that and, and this is this is work for us, and it might not work for everybody because this requires a lot of conversations. Um, we kind of have the mindset of the open because in a it allows us to continue holding that sense of separateness. And it also ironically, allows us to um appreciate each other more because I know that any day he could wake up and say, "I don't want to be with you or I want to be with you, but I want to be with that person too." <laughs> And it creates all brings up some like squeamish feelings inside, sure. And at the same time, having that mindset does makes me never take them for granted. And so there's a lot of appreciation. I'm like, oh, I woke up with you today and you're here. I'm so grateful. Thank mm-hmm. you for being in my life. Cause I know it's not permanent. And I think a lot of us 
uh, fall into this trap because when we get married or we commit to a person for the long term, we because we've committed to someone for the long term, we assume it's forever. And it's not. It's not. And actually assuming it's forever uh, really kills your eros. It kills your appreciation. It's the quickest way to take your partner for granted and think that you know them when you really don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like showing up as the student of your relationship and like continuing to learn about this person and how the relationship might grow or evolve is more important. And at the beginning of a relationship, we kind of do that instinctually because we're still getting to know that person. And that's, I feel like where a lot of that excitement comes from the newness, you know, wanting to understand this person, feeling like they're a mystery and you're kind of drawn to that. And so if we remove any sense of mystery from our relationship to your point by assuming it's always going to be there, assuming we know everything there is to know about this person and just kind of like predicting how we think they're going to act or that they're always going to feel X, Y, Z, then it really is easy to have things feel like they're on autopilot and take it for granted. And I'm guilty of that too. And I think it's important to just, it's always good to have these reminders because I know these things, but I also still have to practice them all the time. It is. And I love that you use the word practice because it is a practice. It's not like Preston and I have arrived in some magical place where there's no issues. I mean, there's, there is something beautiful to be said about committing to someone and assuming that they're going to be there for you forever, because it does create a sense of security and stability and reliability. And that's important in any long-term relationship. So we don't want to just like throw that out the window. Um, you don't want to use this principle to kind of gaslight yourself with being okay with someone who's not committed to you. But there's a difference between um, committing to someone who is separate from you and and merging. Mm, yeah, I get what you're saying. So what is kind of that way to both have that sense of self and maintain that while also still maintaining the connection because I feel like it's a balance of interdependence and independence and of course it will be unique to everybody but what are some ways that you've found that you can kind of have boundaries between what is yours and getting that time and energy and space towards your independence but also still making sure there is that relational component that of course you're happy to have. And of course, that's why you committed to Preston. And that's why he's your husband now. It's like you enjoy that part too. So where's the balance and how could people begin thinking about that in their own situation? Yeah, well, uh, there's kind of two components. A good place to start is with your desires. Um, And the desires are such a loaded word. It's like, well, I might desire to sleep with a bunch of people. Does that mean I ha- I get to go do it? Maybe, but um, you might not actually, like you might like thinking about it and getting off on it, but when it comes to the logistics of actually carrying that out, you might not actually want that. Or you might want like 10% of it, but not go to the extent that you're imagining. So for me, like tango is my way of being with other people without being with other people. And Preston does tango now too. So this is kind of like our spicy way of being like, hey, that's my man over there. <laughs> Keep your hands off him. <laughs> but like I get to take him home at the end of the night. So in a way, that's that's our way. So I desire to do tango. I desire to like mingle energies with people. So kind of following that and kind of like a gas pedal and a brake. It's like, I don't need to go 90 miles an hour. I can maybe go five miles an hour and I still get my needs met. Um, but the other thing that's the other piece of this that's important is there will be times when your needs are not met and you need to be able to sit in the void of your needs not being met. I think a lot of people don't know how to do that as maybe in their childhoods, their parents didn't know how to meet them uh, when we were disappointed. It's like, mommy, I want this. Sorry, I can't get that for you. But 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 tomorrow we'll go get ice cream. And you're like, okay. And so we were never we never learned how to sit in the emptiness of of not having what we want in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I just want to preface like we're all entitled to everything. You're deserving of all the things, but that doesn't mean that life is fair and that you'll get it. Sometimes there will be times when you just like don't get what you need. Mm-hmm. That person I got in a fight the other night. We both recovered from this little head cold. We were both sick, and then. 
I was like, I'm lonely. And he was like, well, I, I'm busy. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and what do you, what am I going to do? Like force him to give something he currently doesn't have to give? Am I going to go out and like have someone else, you know, meet me in that way? I don't think so. So part of it too is being able to sit in the loneliness when it comes um, and sit in the disappointment and the void. And this is why it's so important to train your nervous system to be okay with being alone sometimes, be okay with maybe even lonely, although they're not the same thing. You can be alone and feel very connected and you can be with a lot of people and feel very alone. So I think if you, if you're, it's like, if you know how to simultaneously ask for what you want and go after your needs, but be okay with when that doesn't work out, you're in a good position. So for me, that's, that's a big one. Yeah, that's super big. And I think, yeah, I've had this happen with Nate where like he's working or something and I just like really want to either talk to him or like ask him something right then. And I don't mean this in like a jab against myself or against anyone listening, but it's like, it's like this little five-year-old is like, (laughs) it's like, I want to like stomp and throw like a little fit. And sometimes I can, I know it's like, I do that (laughs) to kind of joke with myself. And then I don't know. It's like, it's kind of funny when you realize it's like, I literally want to kind of throw a temper tantrum to Nate in that moment. And I do it half the time. And half the time I wait until after, of course, he's like, (laughs) you know, finished his thing. But usually we can reconnect after and kind of joke about that of like, oh, you know, like I just felt that way for a fleeting moment. It didn't have to turn into meaning that me and Nate don't spend enough time together. It didn't have to turn into something's wrong with our relationship. It was just me having a feeling and an experience and him also having a different one of like being in the flow, sitting down and working. And that again, it doesn't have to ripple out into the rest of the day or the week. It can just be a moment. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about the relationship anxiety experience is kind of latching on to everything as being something is wrong with the relationship or judging the relationship. Yeah. I love that you pointed out that there's basically like two layers. There's the, there's a layer of the initial disappointment. It's like, oh, my, I am asking something of my partner that they currently don't have available to give. And that's, it's no fault of yours for wanting that. And it's no fault of theirs for not having that. Like if you come to me and say, can I have pie? I'll say there's no pie in the fridge. It's not personal. (laughs) It's, you want to get, you want to try to get your, because if, if I have a need, something I don't have, and you don't have it either, if I try to get it from you, I'm like, now there's a real big deficit for both of us because I'm not getting my needs met. And now you're even more depleted and we're not having an exchange. And a whole nother conversation we can have is is our society today not being very interconnected. And so now a lot of these things that we used to source from our communities, we're now trying to get met from one person. So that's another topic for another day, but that contributes to it as well. Um, But I I love how you mentioned that, um, you know, there's the initial disappointment, but then there's all these layers of judgment and shame on top of it. And that actually is what really needs to be worked on because the being disappointed is just a part of life. You want to, I use the word budget, even though it's people think of it as a financial sense, but to budget means to allocate towards. So when you're in a long-term partnership, emotionally budget and disappointment because it's just going to happen. And even if you pick the most attuned, wonderful partner, they have limitations just like you. So there's going to be times when they just can't meet you. And even if they wanted to, they couldn't meet you. If your partner's sick, they're not going to be like super present. Or if they're really stressed out with work, they're not going to be super present. If they're going through a trauma response, they're not going to be super present. And it's not personal. But the movies told me that they would drop anything at the <laughs> the time to come and run and help me and do all the I things. know, but <laughs> but you gotta realize that that goes both ways. Yeah. Are you willing to do that for someone? Probably not. And if you are, I doubt it's authentic. Yeah. So exactly. I would I would rather get an authentic yes, I can give you this from my partner than a resentful yes. That's not a full yes. So yes. I actually, when my partner sets a boundary, I say thank you because I know that when he says yes, it's going to be a full yes and vice versa. I also wanted to mention, because we talked about this a little bit behind the scenes. So I don't know if you wanted, you were waiting to ask me this or you're waiting for me to bring it up. But um, another way to 
cultivate singleness and partnership is you don't have to do all these conventional things. Um, one of the things Press and I did was we we live lived in and are moving to soon uh, Colombia, like like in South America, and the, the the cost of living is much lower, and so we were able to uh, with our, you know it's very privileged thing we're able to do and very lucky and blessed. Um, I've never gotten to live by myself. Never had my own studio. I've always been in a relationship or in college or in a dorm or something. And so I, there's always been this like longing to have like my own apartment. Mm-hmm. And Preston always lived with his parents or with me. He never got to he never got to be in a dorm because he lived really close to college. So he stayed with his family while while he was at university where we met. And so he had this desire to have like a dorm experience. And I was like, well, I know we just got married like a month ago, <laughs> but like, why don't we get, why don't we live separate for for a month? Like, why don't you go stay at this uh, Spanish speaking dorm hostel thing? And you can like go hang out with a bunch of rowdy college kids, <laughs> see what that's like. <laughs> I don't know buckle, if up. Like, buckle up, <laughs> have fun. I'm going to go stay in this like fancy apartment that I've always wanted. So we did. And he, um, because we could, and a lot of times we don't realize like, we can do these things. We're adults and we make our own choices. Like how fun might it be? And there were people that were really triggered when I talked about this on Instagram. They were like, wow, you just got married and now you're living separate. It's like, yeah, because it was, it was exciting. And it ended up being super, super sexy. It felt like we were dating. Mm -hmm. And so he would be like, oh my God, these like college kids are crazy. Can I, can I come can I come spend the night with you? And I'd be like, I don't know. I'm a little busy. And so it just became this like very hot, sexy thing. And, you know, sometimes I'd go to his dorm and we'd be a little, little silly there. <laughs> we'll use the word silly. And then, you know, he would come over to, to my apartment, but then I could kick him out. Yeah. And it did two things. It One, it really spiced up our relationship a lot because we had reestablished ourselves as individuals that were desirable and therefore we gave each other space to desire each other and the second thing it did is for me personally I'm sure for Preston it was like similar a little bit different he has his own experience he could speak on but for me it was really nice to it quelled a lot of my fears of being abandoned because I was like if Preston leaves or we break up I would return to this Mm-hmm. And this ain't so bad. This is actually kind of nice. And so a lot of us that are so afraid of like losing our partners, actually, when we take time to take care of ourselves and go travel by ourselves and do things that we would do if we were single, we remember that if everything went to shit, we'd be okay. We would return to this place, this, this beautiful home of ourselves. And when we never take care of ourselves and we never do things for ourselves, just solely for ourselves, not taking someone else into consideration, we end up burdening our partners because they feel like they have to do the same for us. They have to sacrifice all these things for us. And so the relationship's not as yummy. Um, But it really calms the nervous system because we remember who we are outside of relationship. And What's really beautiful is when you take care of your kind of single self, you're able to give so much more in the relationship. Yeah. And it's like you said earlier about not necessarily needing to be there, but wanting to be there and how that's such a powerful difference. And Mm -hmm. what comes up as you're talking, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. And I was really like, dang, that sounds so awesome that they were doing that when it was in real time. So I really admired that. Um, Sometimes Nate and I joke because we have a couple that we know that are like our best friends. And we sometimes joke like, we should like you go live with the guy and I'll live with the girl. She was my old roommate. And we're like, we'll just have like, a girl's house and a boy's house together. <laughs> so you never know that could happen. Um, but yeah. what would you say? Cause I'm anticipating like a thought that would come up that I'm sure many of our audience would share is, well, what if you start doing these things and you kind of realize that you don't want to be in the relationship anymore. It's like that resistance thought of, well, I don't want to try this because what if I discover something along that path? What would you say in response to that? 
Yeah, the ultimate question. I, I I also felt this when I was going on my three-week trip to Austria. I kind of had this weird pact with myself. So I just re- very much relate to the people with these fears. I was thinking, okay, if I get there and I want to hook up with other people and I forget about them, then I'll know for sure mm-hmm. that that will break up. And I hate to tell you this, but um, there's no way to know for sure. You know, that that could happen. And I want to also let you know that that could happen even if you didn't leave. You could be in bed one day and wake up and realize you don't want to be in this relationship. It, it, it could happen any day. It might not necessarily happen because you're traveling. It could happen when you're not traveling. So this is not a matter of circumstances creating these thoughts because what's creating these thoughts is your fear of loss. And fear of loss will show up in any circumstance. So the way I see it is face your fear. If you feel the desire to take care of yourself, do it and face your fear. Yes, you might lose them and you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. And it's so hard in that moment to trust that, I think. But that's one of the biggest Mm -hmm. takeaways I've found throughout the last three years and beyond is that everything that I've been scared of even if it's come up, it's been okay. And I've been able to learn something or move through it. And I'm not here to say every single thing has a silver lining or like, you know, it's all going to be amazing. It's going to probably still be really hard and challenging, but we don't grow just through having things be like super easy and perfect. There's going to be things that come up that are difficult and proving to yourself that you can handle the difficult and the uncomfortable feelings and emotions and experiences is actually super meaningful. Whereas if you don't ever do that, then you'll kind of always have that what if as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that, um, you know, these two things are true at the same time. You you need to face your fears and have the discipline of kind of pushing through once in a while. And sometimes you don't have to push through to the extent that you think you need to push through. Like you don't have to traumatize yourself into every hard experience. It could just be dipping your toes in. Um, I recently started learning lead like a lead Argentine tango. So I am leading my woman Mm. and it's, it's amazing. It's so sexy. Women are so hot, Sarah, Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I can see why men love us. (laughs) Like we're so beautiful. We're amazing and perfect. We're amazing and perfect. But um, as a lead, you know, you are the conductor of her experience. And so you have to always be paying attention to her and, um, kind of choreographing the dance in real time. And that is absolutely terrifying. And there have been times where I have created a horrible experience for my follower. <laughs> and there I've wanted to quit. And I've been like, wow, I really suck. And mm-hmm. it's terrifying and embarrassing. And this is just a metaphor for life, which is just keep going. Just keep going. It's going to get easier. And not only is it not going to be as bad as you think it is, it might actually be really pleasurable. And I think a lot of people think that it's definitely going to be bad. But if you had a breakup or everything went to shit, not only might it not be as bad as you think it is, it might be really awesome. And so I want people to kind of, in a weird way, meditate on your worst case scenario. That's something I definitely have had to do many times is meditate on the worst case scenario and make it okay. Yeah. And that will calm your anxiety make it okay if that thing happened. Um, There's also a a thought that's been in the back of my mind. And I kind of, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little slight backtrack just to add this thought in before we move on. Um, There was a beautiful book I read maybe six months ago called Prerequisites to Ecstasy by Om Rupani. And one of the things he talked about is um, creating a desire currency. So we think of currency as like money, dollars or whatever. And one of the ways to also maintain this sense of separateness is to be very intentional about how you're spending time with or away from your partner. So what I notice a lot of people doing, and it's not a bad thing, it's very comforting, but it's not adding anything to your life or to your relationship either enjoy being together or enjoy being apart. Don't be together and not enjoying it. So if you've been together for four days straight, we're going on honeymoon and I'm actually anticipating like, oh, wow, we're not going to have friends. We're going to be together for a month. (laughs) Just us. There's probably going to be times where we get a little sick of each other. And when you get sick of each other, you're, you're using up your desire currency. 
So either enjoy having them or enjoy missing them. So create space and like enjoy being with yourself. And I can already hear the anxious mind again saying, what if I create space and I realize I don't miss my partner? Well, that's, first of all, that's normal. It's normal to enjoy being alone. (laughs) That's a human thing. It's just as enjoyable being alone as it can be to be together. So uh, use try not to do both at the same time where you're with your partner but not enjoying them. Either be with them and enjoy enjoy them or be apart and enjoy missing them. Try not to do both, like watching Netflix on your phones. You're together but you're not actively enjoying each other. That will help also maintain kind of that singleness and partnership. Mm. Yeah, you just touched on both of the points I was going to go to about you and (laughs) living separately and then kind of intentional time together or apart. And I love, you know, one thing you said about kind of like dipping your toe in. I think that's so important because people are like, okay, well, I either need to, you know, just be in this relationship or I have to go take like a six month backpacking trip. It's like, why don't you try to take a day trip first? Like, right, right. See if you even like that, because I think sometimes we have this grand idea of what like traveling alone might be. And I remember when I came to visit you in Estonia, even though obviously I spent time with you in Preston, uh, which was very fun, by the way, I was still traveling alone that weekend. So it was kind of like, I had a little bit of nervous energy around spending time alone. And I found that it was nice. It was like three days where I had time with others, but was alone a good amount of the time as well. But I don't know if I would want to do like a full month backpacking. It's like you kind of learn these things when you dip your toe in. And so I just want to reflect that back to you, how I think it's so important that as people are listening to this conversation, it doesn't have to be these extremes or all or nothing. It can just be trying one thing and seeing if you like it or you know, trying to spend half of a day away from one another and seeing if you enjoy that, like just see what happens when you're listening to some of these things and practicing them in your own life without needing to make rules or guidelines or whatever. Mm -hmm. Spot on. Yeah. And a lot of times these, you know, to touch back on the parts of ourselves that, that kind of take over and say, you don't love your partner. You need to break up with them. They're smothering you. Okay. Uh, or I'm smothering myself in the partnership and sacrificing myself. When when there's a part of us that's that's not having its needs met, in the case of space and having a life outside of partnership, these parts tend to start screaming like a little toddler. And say, I hate you, dad. And it's like, no, you don't. Your your needs are not being met right now. And so your your the words have a certain energy connected to an emotion, but the words are not actually accurate. Mm. Um, And our thoughts behave in much the same way. When our needs are not met, we kind of imagine this extreme thing that we think that we need to the to that extent when in reality we might just need a little bit of that i have a like i love podcasting too i'm so glad that you have a podcast but for those of you that might be curious about this i have this one episode called the week i thought i was a lesbian have you heard this one sarah i listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> the week i thought i might be a lesbian i went to this retreat and i actually found myself having a crush on a woman and i was like i didn't know i could have a crush on a woman but here we are <laughs> and so i thought like oh my god do I need to act on this? Do I need to like, do I need to like have sex with her in order to like be a fully alive human? So I called Preston. I was like, I don't know what to do with these feelings. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know, massage her back. And he's like, you can massage her back. (laughs) And I was like, and so like we went, we like just hung out. We ended up hanging out as like sisters Mm -hmm. and just like skinny dipping in the, um, in like the hot tub that we had. And it was so fun and girly. And I, I actually didn't need what I, my brain, my catastrophic brain thought I needed. I just needed to go skinny dipping with a girlfriend. And then like, we gave each other like a little back rub and that was it. And that was more than enough, more than enough. And I was like, I'm good. That's all I needed. So a lot of times we really don't need the thing that we think that we need, but we might need a little more than what we're having right now. Yeah. That's so well said. I loved that episode. I also love your podcast. So if anyone hasn't already listened to it, definitely check out the Anxious Love Coach podcast because there's so much goodness there. But I'd love to kind of get specific here because I think what you're talking about is so important, like the spending intentional time together or intentional time away. And you kind of gave one example of maybe like an in-between version of that, which is like you're both on the couch watching Netflix and like maybe even like checking your own phone. And I mean, let's be honest, like I'm guilty of that. So I'm not here. I am too. Of course, we're not here to say like you never do that, but 
What would be, and in your own life, maybe some examples of spending that intentional time together versus the intentional time away? Because I feel like the word intentional to me has so much meaning behind it. And I understand it in my own unique situation, but maybe someone, you know, kind of like would need a little bit of guidance of what that would look like in their own life or what to consider. I love that question. Yeah. Cause it's like, what do you do? Are you, you just like move, do you move away from each other? Do you change rooms? Um, and then what is intentional time together? Like, what are you supposed to do during that time? I, I really like Om Rupani's kind of de- definition of enjoy having your partner. So if you're giving them a back rub and like you're loving the experience of being with them, that's called having your partner. It's like actively kind of taking from the circumstance. It's nourishing you. But then when that is no longer happening, I'm not talking about over the long span of a relationship. I'm talking in a moment. Have you ha- have you ever had that moment, Sarah, where you're like with your partner and you're like, I'm not enjoying this right now. Mm, yes. Like we're, we're at dinner, but like neither of us are really enjoying this dinner. We're kind of just like on our phones and not getting juice out of this interaction. Yes. That's happened many that, times. <laughs> of course it has because it happens to all of us. It's going to happen in a long-term relationship. And by this point, a lot of people start freaking out thinking like, oh my God, there's no chemistry. There's no spark. Well, maybe if, you know, a spark flame needs oxygen. <laughs> oxygen means space. That is a sign not necessarily to break up. That's just your panicked mind creating an extreme in response to this small need for space. Mm-hmm. And you you really, both of you, both people in the partnership need to get comfortable with kind of being single within partnership because at that point when neither of you are enjoying each other, that is your indicator to create a little room and have have lives outside of each other. And like I said, when you first take, if if you think that, if you have a belief that the right partner you will have a spark with all the time, you're going to both feel smothered. And there's also, you're going to panic every time that's not there rather mm-hmm. than seeing that as a sign to retreat back into your own life yeah, and almost like you're dating you're dating give give some room for you to want each other so that little sign is a sign to like okay go go back to being single and that's why it's helpful to to remember or imagine okay if this partner was not here right now if i could not rely on this partner right now what would i do would i go dancing would i go travel would I go take a ceramics class? Mm-hmm. Um, would I go hang out with my girlfriends? Would I go hang out with my guy friends? This, what would you do if you didn't have this partner here right now? That is what you would do. And maybe you need to cry about it for a little while, just like you would if you had a breakup, because coming out of this belief system does feel like a breakup. I went through one and within my own partnership, without actually breaking up, we went through a full blown breakup of dynamics. Mm, we had yeah. some real honest conversations to say, I can't always meet your needs in the way that you want. Yeah. That sucks. So you can have a breakup inside your relationship where we're, we both agree we're not going to do this anymore because it's not benefiting either of us. And there was a whole grieving around that, just like there would if you actually broke up the relationship. So, but on the other side of that grief of realizing your partner's not going to rescue you from from every uncomfortable moment. Your partner's not going to rescue you from loneliness, occasional loneliness. Um, they're not going to rescue you from the discomforts of being a human and being alive. And um, when, once you really understand that, it's actually not as painful as you think. It's actually really, really liberating because you get to have your cake and eat it too in a weird way. Yeah. And kind of the last topic before I ask my final question, I think this really segues into it is like, setting boundaries to protect your energy, not against someone else, but kind of knowing when is it time. And you have a great podcast with Molly Bernie uh, on boundaries. And I know you just did another new one recently, so people should check those out too. But when is it time to kind of analyze or analyze is maybe a strong word. The anxious mind already is analyzing a lot, but when is it time to get curious and maybe just start understanding what boundaries would be beneficial to add into a relationship to protect your own energy, to protect your own time and space and ability to have that 
singleness while still in the partnership? How would someone go about thinking about setting some relationship boundaries? Mm -hmm. It's a topic I enjoy very, very much. And I have recorded a few episodes on boundaries. One is very recent with this exact topic, but in a nutshell, um, there's a difference between, and I, I hate to say that I see people do this a lot. They set boundaries to like at someone, um, rather than for themselves. There's a different, it has a different energy when I'm saying you need to stop doing this. And we think that that's a boundary. That's not the case. The analogy that I use is let's say, let's say your partner is drunk, um, and they want to drive you home. A boundary, setting a boundary is not saying, I need you to stop drinking. A boundary is saying, you can drink, but I won't get in the car with you. There's Mm -hmm. a big difference. So obviously that's an oversimplification, but this is how I see boundaries. Boundaries are not something you do to someone else. It's not a punishment. It's something you do for yourself. And um, are there contexts where doing something for yourself means leaving the relationship? Yes, absolutely. Um, but for most people in healthy relationships, it's more just like think about taking care of yourself rather than something you do at someone. It's like, I'm gonna do this for me. What do you, you know, based on that information, you can do what you want, but here's what I'm doing for myself. And it's not, I'm not trying to control you. I'm not trying to change you. I'm just taking care of me. And if that means removing myself from this particular context, I'm going to do that. And you can have respond to that however you need. And you're allowed to feel however you feel about that. Mm-hmm. I think the most beautiful boundaries are actually incredibly loving to the other party because it means that you're going to be offering them your full enthusiasm later because of how you've taken people who set boundaries they tend to be a lot more generous whereas people who don't set boundaries their resentment is like poisoning everything they do and it's actually not a gift people pleasing is not the nice sweet i know we do it as a trauma response so have a lot of compassion and grace with yourself but to the part of you inside that thinks that it's a virtue to sacrifice yourself it's not people feel your resentment it's icky it's actually far more loving to say i'm gonna take care of myself right here Uh, it's going to benefit everyone if I take care of myself right now. Yeah. And even just an example, like the other day we were supposed to record on Thursday, this is Monday. And on Thursday, I was not feeling great. And at first I was like, oh, I don't want to disappoint Natalie. But then I was like, no, I have to set the boundary for my body and mind that I'm taking care of myself. And I knew that no matter what the consequences were, like I had to uphold that for myself. And I think in this context of being single in a partnership, what I'm hearing from you is that we would then basically say to our partner, here's what I need in order to get this me time. And I'm, you know, I'm signed up for this pottery class at this time on this date. So this is kind of my boundary. Like I'm going to be going to this or I need, you know, a weekend on my own. So I'm going to book a hotel and take this time. And that's kind of like my boundary. And when I'm back, like, you know, we'll have our time together, but kind of setting aside what you need, not in a disrespectful way, but just what you need for yourself and making sure like you lovingly communicate that. So they are not necessarily on the same page in the sense that they have to agree, but more of that they understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And the, the irony, by the way, I love that um, you reference like the reschedule because a lot of times we're assuming that it's going to be more disappointing to the other person than it actually is. Like for me, I was like, oh, actually Monday works even better. So it's no big deal. Um, but I, and also I, I think that when you learn how to set boundaries effectively, and when I say effectively, what I really mean is um, it's loving for you but it's your the the person that you're setting boundaries allegedly towards also feels the love mm. because it's benefiting them for you to be well. The people who really care about you, they want you to be well. And so they're going to be appreciative that you're taking care of yourself. Ideally in a health, in a healthy relationship, people will be appreciative that you take care of yourself. Um but sometimes what when it gets a little messy and this is a whole topic oops a little a whole topic in and of itself it's like well what do i do when my need is directly opposing your need uh right and a, a lot of people at this time they fall into the trap of like me versus you my need versus your need and we need to figure like somebody has to sacrifice here 
And we call that an incompatibility when that happens. And there could be an incompatible relationship where fundamentally you have opposing needs for your futures. That would be an incompatible relationship. I want kids and you don't. I want to live in Colombia. You want to live in New York. These are fundamentally incompatible visions. But there's also incompatible moments in relationship, which is like, right now I need this and right now you need the exact opposite. And at this point, a lot of us start to get into like attacking the other and figuring out who's going to sacrifice. And I'll be the first to say, sometimes you do sacrifice yourself and it's okay. It happens. But I think one thing that's much more useful, and this is why it's so beautiful to learn how to do this within yourself, because we also internally have incompatibilities. It's like my single self versus my my relational self. They also have to learn to work together. So relationships are a mirror for the dynamics we have within um, another topic for another day. But in the same way that you have to negotiate within between opposite parts of yourself, we learn to negotiate without or externally with our partners. And so I think what's more effective than figuring out who's going to get bulldozed today to actually point out the, the conflict, it's like, huh. I love you. I want you to be happy. I need this. You need that. Huh. That's interesting. What do we do? What do you think we should do about that? Yeah. You know, and now both of you are looking at the issue, which is we have an incompatible need right now. What can we do from a third party perspective where both of us get our needs met? Because I know that bulldozing you will not feel good to me. So it's actually in my best interests that you're okay. And it's in my partner's best interests that I'm okay. Because when we're both okay, the relationship thrives. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to meet each other in the way that we initially thought we were. Mm -hmm. And so it might look like, you know, looking outside the relationship. And I don't necessarily mean opening up the relationship. It might just be like, oh, I need girlfriendy type connection and like you just you're in logic mind right now you can't like validate the shit out of me right now so I might have to go hang out with girlfriends today yeah and maybe you need me to do the dishes later because you're overwhelmed with doing things okay so it might not be like I meet your needs you you meet my needs we source from external like outside the relationship we go to our hobbies, we go to our families, our communities, and and source externally when we can't meet each other in that way. Yeah, I love that. And I think if more people, I really love the point you just made, and I don't know if I've ever heard it articulated in that way about the incompatible, like the whole situation being incompatible versus incompatible moments. And I I share similar things with my clients, but I love that distinction of like, yeah, there can be incompatibility, but in kind of that macro level versus the micro level. And I think that's so important for people to realize that there probably are going to be moments of incompatibility and you should expect those and budget for them, like you said, and know that there's still solutions. Uh, So I really love that. So thank you for sharing that negative wisdom. So to close out my interview episodes, because this is the You Love and You Learn podcast, I ask each guest if they can just leave us with one thing that they have learned about love over their years. One thing. Um, I want to say be a little skeptical of the idea that there's any part of you that's bad. Mm. I love that. Um, The parts of you that you think are bad are often your biggest advocates in disguise. It's just take some time to get to know them. Um, You know, the part of you that you think is selfish or the part of you that you think is adventurous or these parts are not bad. They might just be in a role that's a bit extreme but with a little TLC, they will soften and they will be one of your favorite internal characters. Yeah. And then you can learn to love those parts of yourself and bring them into anything you do. It doesn't have to just be relationship related, but I loved your example earlier about how that free spirit part of you now is one of your favorite parts of not only your life, but then kind of the life that you're building with Preston. So I think it's just nice. Exactly. 
And also when you bring, when you become a little bit more you by becoming more whole, by integrating parts of yourself that you previously rejected, you develop more range as a person and it makes you more interesting and your partner will find you more interesting, which -hmm. means more love and more attraction. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's a win for everyone. So thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you and your work and everything that you have going on right now? Yeah. Oh, um, well, uh, pretty much anywhere you search anxious love coach, I am there. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. I'm on podcast. I have an email list. Um, I'm trying to have a more tight knit community through my podcast and my email list. So you can find both of these things on Google. Um, but if you, if you have any interest in kind of seeing what I have to offer on Instagram, I have a little link tree. And that is updated based, those offerings are updated based on the contexts of my life and circumstances. So whatever's on there is is an option for you. So Anxious Love Coach on Instagram, Anxious Love Coach Podcast, YouTube, all those things. I love that. Well, thank you so much. It's always great to chat and I'm really glad we got to do this. So everyone definitely check out her work. It is always so refreshing just to hear these new perspectives. And even though we are in a similar space, I feel like I'm always learning from you as well. So I appreciate you. Thank you. And likewise, these were really great questions. It's wonderful dialogue. So thank you for having me today. You're welcome. Bye everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.